So Ben has already shared the passage with you. We're going to walk through it this morning. It's been good to walk through Psalms 119, hasn't it? On this journey through life, just remember this. The Bible Project said this about Psalms. All of the Psalms are prayers, laments, or songs of praise for exiles. That is, pilgrims like you and I. Who are learning to live by God's wisdom and to seek God's justice in the world. As they hope for the coming Messiah and the kingdom of God. These Psalms are meant to become our own prayers. Our own laments. Our own songs of praise. So as you know, we've been walking through Psalms 119 and it's an alphabetical psalm. There's a section for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet and each verse in each section starts with that letter. We are to the seventh letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You heard Ben say it. Zion, I was impressed with that, uh, Ben. It took me a while to figure out how to say it and you got it. It's Z-A-Y-I-N. This passage begins with the psalmist asking God to remember his promise to him, his servant. And then twice the psalmist says, I remember. I remember your word. And then he says, I remember your name, O Lord. So remember. How's your memory? Anybody else in here besides me have a bad memory? I know it's Sunday because I'm here. Otherwise, I mean, it's. You can ask anybody. But it's important to remember important things, right? It is. We are pilgrims. This is the summary. We are pilgrims in this world, and knowing God and reminding ourselves of His words to us can make all the difference in this life journey. All the difference. So a definition of remember. To have in or to be able to bring to mind uh, an awareness of someone or something that you have seen, known, or experienced in the past. To recall or to recollect. But there's a presumed knowledge here. You have to know it before you can remember it, right? Well, Martin Luther, when speaking of how he studied the Bible, I like this. He said, first I shake the whole apple tree that the ripest may fall. He's talking about how he studies the Bible. Then I climb the tree and I shake each limb and then each branch and then each twig. And then and then I look under every leaf. I'm afraid that too often we, lacking spiritual appetite for the spiritual fruit, we hardly even look in the direction of the tree of God's word. But my question for you this morning is, are you lacking in comfort and hope amidst the difficulties of your journey through this life? Maybe we need to remember the first point, the blessings of the word Defined in verse 49, remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. This is how I summed up that. Remember to remind God to remember his promises, which he never forgets. I know what you're thinking. You have a way with words, JT. Not necessarily a good way, but you have a way. The writer isn't concerned that God would forget. He's basically praying God's words back to him like Ben just did. 
There's a sense when we cry out to God to remember me and to remember his promises to me, we're confessing, that is agreeing with him, we're confessing his truth to him. God delights in his word. God delights in his people. And he delights for us to spend time with him and in his word. And in that moment of intimacy, in his presence, as our minds contemplate the truth and as our mouths speak the truth, our hearts are ministered to of the reality of that truth. Even when we have yet to fully experience that promise, whatever that promise is. This is what it means to pray according to God's word and his will. Lord, I hope in this, your word. And because I'm praying in faith and believing and knowing that God is faithful, that he always does what he says he will do, I have hope and I have comfort. Of course, prayers are answered in God's time and in his way. We, we get that, right? But if we're praying his words to him, we can be confident that he will do what he said he will do. But there are specific blessings here that I want you to see. First is hope. Hope in what? The psalmist says hope in the fulfillment of God's promise. Notice that the psalmist isn't, he's not banking this. He's not saying, Lord, I'm your servant. Remember all that I have done for you. He's not banking it on that. On that basis, he wouldn't get very far and neither would you or I. His hope is in God's word, what God has said, and his faithfulness to fulfill what he says. The Lord's promises are sure. They're true. Hope derives its strength from the object of that hope. It comes from the confident expectation that God, who calls the hope, remember he said, you have made me hope. God, who caused this hope, will see it realized. This hope will not disappoint. Secondly, the blessing of comfort. The psalmist is experiencing affliction. Affliction is not a word we use much, but I like that word. Um, Affliction. It sounds really bad, doesn't it? It it is. He's experiencing hardship. It's heavy. He's troubled. And it's personal. He says, my affliction. But the comfort he's experiencing in the midst of that hardship is also personal. He says, my comfort. My comfort. So what is the source of the comfort? The source is your promise has given me life. Present comfort comes from what God has said and done in the past. God is called the God of all comfort in Scripture. And the primary way he comforts us is through his word. So when we need comfort, to what or to whom do we look? When life is hard, when we're struggling, when there's difficulty, when we feel afflicted, there's comfort to be found in God's word and nowhere else. In God's word. And the third blessing I want you to see here is life. God's word gives life. It's a comfort because my struggles bring me down. But God's word uplifts me and gives me life. The word literally means to be quickened. It's a reverence to the power of God's word to make us both alive spiritually and to make us to be lively spiritually. That is effective and fruitful and useful in our service to God. Let me ask you something. Is there anything that you're dealing with or seeing in this world right now that's just sucking the life out of you? I know the answer to that. <laughs> Draining, deflating, 
But God's word and his promises quicken us. They give us life. Second point, the power of the word when it's remembered as we're in this foreign land. First point, we've already talked about it. We're going to have difficulties, afflictions. Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble, especially in the year 2020. I might have added that last part. Um, no, actually, this is what he said. I have said these things to you that in me you, have, you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. The psalmist goes on to say in verse 92 of this chapter, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. In, I, would have, I would have died. I wouldn't have made it. If not for my affection and my joy and my satisfaction in God's word. And then as we travel this world, we know we're going to experience number two, the arrogance. The arrogant will ridicule you believers. Remember God's word and be comforted. In verse 51, we read the insolent Utterly deride me. I like the CSV's version of that. The arrogant constantly ridicule me. But I do not turn away from your law. Listen, the scoffing, the ridicule, it's not a new tactic of the enemies of God. It's not new. The proud hate God's people, especially when we act like God's people and we're gracious and we're pursuing goodness and righteousness. I believe they fear the godly because they don't understand and can't understand spiritual things until the eyes of their hearts are opened. So there's contempt and hatred. They mock faith in God and laugh at the thought of holiness. It seems silly to them. They delight when a believer falls. We see that, don't we? They make a big deal of it. In John 15, Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. Conceited sinners will be mean and cruel to those who seek to live out a life that honors God. They will not put up with you speaking the truth. They will make fun of you. They will call you names, especially if you are committed to being and living a set-apart, holy life. They'll, call, they'll, they'll absolutely call you hypocritical. And it's not hard to catch a Christian sinning because we're still battling, battling the flesh and we still sin, right? Many mistakenly think that Christians believe themselves to be perfect. I think there's a couple of reasons for that. One is because many religious folks preach a false gospel of good works. It's very confusing. But the other side is, sometimes we're battling that sin called pride, and it gets in the way of our witness. But if we're living for the Lord, we will experience persecution. And, and, and get this, guys, it's, it's multiplying. It's, 
it's getting harder and harder and it's and it's going exponentially for the believers. Many of us haven't experienced a ton of persecution, but it's coming. And first, Peter. We read, even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. One thing I see there is you're going to suffer. Either they're going to give you grief for calling the name of Christ but not living it, or they're going to give you grief for calling the name of Christ and living it. It's, it's better to you'll be blessed if you suffer for the sake of Christ's name. And the psalmist says, but I do not turn away from your law. And that's what the enemies of God want. And that would be the temptation to just go with the flow of the world. Do not focus on their ridicule and their jeers and the jokes and the the grief. And I thought about you students, because I know sometimes it's harder for students if if and when you ever go back to school. Um, One commentator put it this way. Their unholy humor won't harm us if we pay no attention to it. Just as the moon doesn't suffer anything from the dogs that howl at it. God's law is our highway of peace and safety. And those who want to laugh us out of it wish us no good. They're not wanting anything. They're not thinking of our best interests They're So we need to be committed to what is true and what is right. Be committed to God and his word. In verse 52. We read, when I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. The, the word there is, is God's judgments. The psalmist remembered God's judgments. Think about his righteousness and the reality that he is the judge of the universe, okay? And the psalmist remembers God's judgment and that he would ultimately and for all eternally, eternity eventually make everything right. Everything will be made right. And he remembers, he remembers God's word and he took comfort. It literally says he comforted himself with God's truth. God's word. I I thought about this way. I I got this image of we're we're living in this fog of of lies and 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 mess. And it's it's everywhere. And. God's word is like the steps of a hill that take us up out of the fog where we can really see what real reality is. And then thirdly, in verse 53, we see most of the wicked will reject God's truth. But righteous anger and sorrow are appropriate. Now this verse 53, hot indignation seizes me. Because of the wicked who forsake your law. Hot indignation. Parents, you need to try these words, okay? 
you are making hot indignation seize me right now. If nothing else, they'll they'll stop trying to figure out what you're saying. <laughs> hot indignation. That's that's heavy. It's rage. But this isn't just righteous anger. This is righteous anger. We're going to talk about it, but it's, it's mixed with sadness, too. There's there's a depth to the meaning of these words. But righteous anger, let's talk about that. I've always had a hard time with this concept. This this idea of righteous anger, because I believe it's really, really hard for us as sinners to do. Because we're so prone to see things in a self-centered way. But we are told in Psalms 4, 4 and Ephesians 4, 26, be angry and do not sin. Now, anger is an emotion that we have when things are out of our control. We're all pretty angry these days, aren't we? It's an emotion. But we're told to handle it rightly. And we are... We're frustrated right now with the mess of the world. We're frustrated by sin. But I'm not sure it's all righteous anger. I think we get mad at sinners for doing what sinners do. They lie. They steal. They're selfish. They're self-serving. Did you already know that about sinners? I bet you did. Here's the reality. And it's important for us to say and see all have sinned. That includes you and I. But for those who, have, who are in Christ, who have turned from sin and trusted in Him, we have redemption. We have forgiveness through His shed blood and His death and His resurrection. We are saved. We're born again. We have, we, we're no longer spiritually dead in our sin, but now we are made alive in Christ. Jesus makes the difference. Man, that should be an amen point. Jesus makes the difference. Amen. But the reality is we still struggle with sin and we will until we're home. But he helps us. He promises to help us. He is presently the work of the spirit in us is making us and molding us to be more and more like our savior, Jesus. We need to be cooperating with the work of the spirit in that pursuing holiness and growth. But the psalmist was angry. He was angry at the ridicule he was enduring. He was angry at sin and the pain and the damage that sin was causing all around him. But the anger is mixed with sorrow and sadness. Sorrow for the rebel who would reject God. God's word is their one chance, one way to come to know him. To reject God's word is to reject him. And he's sorrowful for the doom of God's judgment that is coming on the arrogant and wicked people around him. And instead of the constant frustration we have for the, the difficulties caused us and the, the discomfort caused us, I would pray that we would feel the burden of the reality of the judgment that awaits the spiritually lost people around us. May we be filled with pity and concern and compassion for the dire situation of their souls. But then the psalmist goes from the anger and the sorrow to joy. Look in verse 54. He says, your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. 
Third point, remembering the word gives joy for the journey. Now, how do I know this is joyful songs? Because if it wasn't, he would say laments. There'd be song, sad songs and sayings. There's joy here. And here we see the importance of the word being the theme of our song in our life. I put it in your notes this way. Music selection matters on a trip. Maybe not to Durham or Danville or maybe even to the beach. But on this short trip called life, it matters. Let me ask you something. Have you ever had a song stuck in your head? We all have, right? They're called sticky songs. Um, I made the mistake of looking that up. And that list is stuck in my head. Two weeks ago, I was walking in, in the, into the church Sunday morning, and that was the morning of the earthquake. I missed it that morning. But as I opened the door, Jason was standing there, and he started singing a song to me. It was a secular song. I'm not going to tell you which one, because it'll be stuck in your head. But he started singing this song to me, and I'm like, why are you singing this song about shaking to me? It was an awkward moment. It's very awkward. So I did what a good friend would do. I made it more awkward. I started to dance. <laughs> Just helping him out. But then I did what I shouldn't have done. I came in here and shared it with the, the praise band. And the song got stuck in their heads. <laughs> Sorry about that. Still holding it against me. The songs get stuck. You know, our songs matter. What we listen to, and in particular, what we sing matters. Another translation, the, the, the Christian Standard Bible, I like this translation of this verse. Your statutes are the theme of my song during my earthly life. The theme of my song. But wait a minute, this is the psalmist. We've heard what he's going through. The psalmist is ridiculed. He's having to deal with the arrogant and those who are rebelling against God and God's ways. He's having to deal with the wicked people around him and their wicked ways. He describes himself as being afflicted, and we know that's not good. Let me tell you what the theme of that song could have been. These people are driving me crazy, Lord. They're terrible people, God. They're rejecting you and your word, and they're ridiculing me. For following you. This life is hard and it's heavy. This song could have been, why God? I'm tired of struggling. I'm tired of the affliction. I guess that wouldn't have been a joyful song though. That would have been a lament. But what did, what did he say? No. Your word is not only my hope and my comfort. It's the theme of my joyous life song. Let me ask you. What is the theme of your song? Does the word of God, does the word of God intersect with your song at all? Does it come to play at all in your song? Could it be that we're not experiencing joy and peace in the midst of our affliction because the theme of our song is not God's word? Could it be that we're weary because we're singing the wrong song? Do we have the wrong song stuck in our life? Or 
Are we singing the poor me song instead of the praise you Lord song? I'm going to I'm going to trounce almost everybody's toes, including mine here. But maybe we need to spend less time reading Facebook and Twitter and absorbing the news and spend more time reading and dwelling on the good news and God's word. May we say with the psalmist, your word is the theme of my song during my short time here on this earth. Because here's the point, guys. Remember, we are not home yet. We're not in the house of my sojourning, my pilgrimage. He's talking about a temporary residence here. The psalmist knew he wasn't home and he was seeking a better country. And the reality is we're not ultimately where we belong either. And this too shall pass. All of it. All of this earthly life will give way to eternal life. We're just passing through on this journey and we're just here for a little while. But we all will spend eternity somewhere. Either heaven or hell. Do you have a confidence in where you're going? The psalmist joy amidst the struggle and the affliction comes from his awareness that God is faithful and that this experience here is temporary. It's temporary. I grew up in the country. I loved summers. I played outside most of the time, barefooted. I had calluses on my feet, playing in the dirt, riding bikes, running and exploring through the woods. I love the summer, except for one thing. You know what it is, don't you? No, that was bad too. <laughs> Thanks, Charles. I didn't need to remember that. The garden. Now, look, I loved eating out of the garden. And I didn't mind picking anything that was quick, that allowed me to get back to what I wanted to do. But I did not like picking beans, and I did not like shucking corn. It took a long time. And Mama would sing songs while we picked. Um, showers of blessing. That's why we don't sing that here. That's not in my notes. I don't mean that. It took it took a long time and I would look down and I would see the end of the garden. I mean, the end of the row of the beans, it was coming. But sometimes it did feel like it kept moving on me. But we would shut corn and we would have the, the family over. We'd have cousins there, which meant we got to play afterwards. And I would watch for the bottom of the big wash tub that had all the corn in it. Because I knew good food and good times awaited on the other side. You with me? That eternal perspective can help us sing even in the midst of the struggle of this life. We have the promise of heaven for those who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And in verse 53, we read, I remember your name in the night, O Lord. And we see the results of a life where the Lord and his word are remembered. The psalmist spent much time and thought in thinking about the Lord and his word. He says, I remember your name in the night. 
to remember the name of the Lord is to remember the Lord and who he is, his character. And we could talk about his his goodness, his faithfulness, his, his love. But it also is remembering his actions. Have you been walking with the Lord long enough that you can remember how God has worked lovingly and graciously and sometimes miraculously in your life? I look around this room and I see, I see faces and I, and I think of your testimonies that I know. We've, we've lived it together. We've seen God's goodness and faithfulness, haven't we? We've lived it. And the psalmist is, is waking up at night thinking about the Lord. The idea is when others slept, he was thinking about God. When things got quiet, quiet in his house, he contemplated his Lord. What do we spend our time thinking about? Does it even matter today? Will it matter tomorrow? Will it matter for eternity? It doesn't matter when. It's always the right time to turn to the Lord and to think on Him and to be in His Word. I remember Your name in the light, in the night, O Lord, and keep Your law. Obedience is the fruit of a word-filled life. That was the psalmist's life. I think the two thoughts are connected here. What he thought about at night had an impact on how he lived during the day. He's growing in sanctification. That is, he's, he's growing in holiness and righteousness. And, and folks, that doesn't happen accidentally. Spurgeon said, forgetfulness in mind leads to forgetfulness in life. What we think about impacts our actions. And then last, there are blessings that come from knowing and seeking to live according to God's word. In verse 54, this blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. Precepts is another word for God's word. Especially around the idea of duty, a man's duty to the Lord. So the idea is that the psalmist is diligent in the application of God's truth in his life. He isn't bragging, but he's certain that he has pursued holiness. He has reached for righteousness. He has leaned into the command to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. But get this. It's part of God's blessing that God himself Help the psalmist and will help you and I keep God's command. That's part of the blessing. He helps us. When it comes to living this life, listen, God's way is the best way. My question is, do we really believe that? Is God's way the best way? Because let me tell you something. The enemy will say a hundred times a day, that's a lie. And we hear it and see it constantly that there are better ways. It's the lie of the enemy. It's part of the ridicule. It's part of the scoffing. It's part of how they make fun of believers. And we see those who enjoy sin and who embrace evil seemingly prosper. It's deception and it's a lie. We can trust God. And we must feed on and live by the truth, His Word. 
The psalmist said, the blessings have fallen to me. One commentator said, we're not rewarded for our works, but there is a reward in them. There's a reward in them. There are many blessings that come from living life God's way. Sin is costly. Sometimes obedience is costly. But there is comfort in knowing that I have done the right thing and that I've honored and served the Lord. And thinking about the blessings takes us back to the beginning of this passage. Where we read about the hope and the comfort and the life. I wrote down a sentence that to me kind of summarizes this whole passage. As followers of Christ, we can say, when I'm afflicted and ridiculed and enduring the wickedness around me, I am comforted and have hope and receive life-giving power and have joy because of you, Lord, and because of your word. When I think about blessings, I, I think about Psalms 1. The blessed man in Psalms 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. When it says his delight, it's talking about his full affection. His full affection is on the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates, that is, he gives his full attention to it day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And that idea is that all he does, in all he does, he prospers. The Hebrew idea is here that it's turning out well because of God's blessing. Folks, we can have confidence that it's going to turn out well as we live this life according to God's word, as we live it to serve him. Are you lacking in comfort and hope amidst the difficulties of your life's journey today? Let me encourage you. Remember what God has given us as believers. Remember what he has said to us and all that comes from trusting in him. And living according to his word. Let's pray together. Lord we pray. That your word would be the source of our lives. Lord that we would find our life song there. Lord may our may thoughts of you. And your truths be ever on our minds. May we focus and and delight in your goodness and your faithfulness to us. Your love to us. Lord, we pray for wisdom that we would respond in the right way when persecution comes. Understanding there is There is appropriate righteous anger, but Lord, we're also told to be gentle and respectful. Lord, help us to represent you well in this dark world. Lord, may we shine. May we shine for you like stars in this crooked and perverse generation. May we glorify you with our lives. Lord, help us to press into you and to your word. Thank you. 
Thank you for communicating to us. Lord, help us to regard it as we should. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen.